This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Special thanks to the newest sponsor of the Master Brewers podcast, Novazymes. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to brew different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to... Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. What you're about to hear originally aired almost exactly four years ago, Christmas of 2017. It's a two-part series that was produced as a mashup of nearly a dozen different interviews. It was both a lot of work and a lot of fun to put together, and it remains one of my favorites to this day. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. Diastaticus. 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 Diastaticus in your brewery. Hunting for diastaticus. Do we want to actually put this deliberately out in the market? Diastaticus seems like quite an oddball. And the ST1 gene. The recent lawsuit that uh, Left Hand Brewery has brought against White Labs, everyone is thinking about diastaticus coming from their yeast providers. So brewers should be really aware of any strain that's claiming to have kind of a high level of attenuation, it's likely that it has that gene present. In the ST1 gene. There really is no threshold um, that's acceptable for this strain. It will, it'll do you wrong, that's for sure. And that that's one thing I, I think that people are seeing issues with is they'll have this really low level detection in their beers and then it won't be until, you know, three, maybe four months that they start seeing this overcarbonation happening. Merry Christmas, everyone. This week on the show, you'll hear from a barrage of brewers, yeast suppliers, and independent microbiologists who all have experience with diastaticus. We'll cover detection, prevention, horror stories, and more, all right here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Uh, It's dangerous, but you can combat it, I think. Um, I mean, once you have it in your brewery, it's in the environment, it's everywhere. Whether or not it's coming from, as we're hearing from everyone, maybe it's coming from a yeast supplier or maybe it's just in the air somewhere. Um, However it got in, it's there and it's in the environment. And um, as long as you keep your your standards in line uh, and you're up to par with all of your CIPs, SIPs, just any surface, uh, the beer contacts, um, you should be able to 
keep it at bay. Because um, if you don't, I mean, you're, you're going to be able to tell almost immediately that strain. I would say within, depending on the weather, of course, how you're storing your cans. But for some, if it's in the summer months, I would say within two weeks, you can definitely feel the cans are taut. Um, and that's when, if you haven't proactively seen it on the plate, um, that's when you really need to be concerned and try to, if you need to make a plan of action to get that off the shelves or buy it back, um, definitely do that as soon as you, as soon as you feel those cans and they're a little taut. And then some, it could take maybe like a month and a half, two months, uh, again, depending on how they're stored. So just something, if you have the ability to screen for that, um, in the early stages, definitely do so because it can creep up and like most things, you only need one cell and one colony forming unit. And there, there really is no threshold um, that's acceptable for this strain. It will, it'll do you wrong. That's for sure. Hi, my name is Matthew Peets and I'm with Inland Island Yeast Laboratories. I guess um, let's start with some basics. What is diastaticus and why is everybody talking about it right now? So uh, what gets referred to is Saccharomyces cerevisiae variety diastaticus is really just any kind of host of genes that have one of these three um, genes in them that are able to produce glucoamylase extracellularly. It causes the dextrins in the beer to be broken down and then yeast can go back and ferment it. So it's really any strain of cerevisiae that has one of these three genes inserted into it. Well, so where we're seeing a lot of kind of work being done on this is all these smaller breweries that decide they want to get into canning. And so you have somebody who's producing one to 2,000 barrels of beer in an entire year, and they decide that they want to package it in crowlers or cans. Maybe they're hiring a mobile canning company or borrowing a wild goose filler from a friend. Um, And so they don't really have any lab equipment. Um, This is maybe their first time canning. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they've created a product that they hope a consumer can bring home, store for a while and drink. And the reality is uh, maybe the consumer's storing it warm. Uh, maybe it's not handled all that well. But now um, they've got cans exploding or overcarbonating. And instead of kind of boosting their brand by canning, uh, they're kind of ruining their reputation. So it's definitely it's affecting quite a few smaller brewers. Next, let's hear from an established brewer who's setting out to can a beer made from diastatic yeast. Hi, my name is Andy Tavikram, and I'm the brewmaster and one of the co-founders of Market Garden Brewery in Cleveland, Ohio. It's actually a wit beer uh, that has uh, some uh, tangerine and lime uh, zest and peel incorporated into it. But we use this this French Saison yeast, and uh, we've been using it in our brew pub for seven years now. And we just like the flavor that it produces, but we we've always noticed that it is a you know a pretty extreme attenuator i mean it, it'll go down to uh close to zero typically we see you know 1.2 play-doh thereabout um, so uh, we started looking into putting uh, some beer into cans and we're going to launch in january and then we started doing a little more digging around on, on the yeast we're going to use found out oh hey all this conversation on the web about diastaticus uh, and then we confirmed that with uh, PCR in our lab. So sure enough, you know, they got a hit. So um, 
that set off an interesting chain of, of you know, hand wringing and soul searching. Uh, like, do we want to actually put this deliberately out in the marketplace? And what are we going to do? Blah blah blah. Yeah. So, kind of developed an action plan. Um, you know, it is just a yeast; it's not a bacteria. So, uh, we're pretty good at you know uh, adding and removing yeast in a brewery. It's kind of what we do, right? So, our current plan is basically just to centrifuge it and possibly filter it, uh, and just basically get the the yeast load greatly reduced. Uh, then we have to you know figure out if we want to have some kind of permanent haze or dosing additional yeast to make it cloudy, that kind of thing. But uh, the most important thing is, I think, knowing that we have this organism in our brewery and then handling it accordingly, uh, which this is much different than uh, if you have it in your brewery and you don't know it or you, you know, you don't realize it's in your packaged beer. Um, so we started playing around with some, some different scenarios. We, uh, we had it on tap at our brew pub and we have a growler filling machine that does counter pressure filling. So we filled some, uh, some bottles and we crowned them and we just basically said, okay, what's worst case scenario. If we have this beer sitting out on the shelf at say 80 degrees, what's it going to do if we don't do any, you know, if we don't do anything, if we just as is put it out there. Uh, so we, we stuck some bottles in our, our incubator at 80 degrees and, uh, uh, Carl, my lab guy, pulled one out after three days, and uh, we with uh, safety sorry, glasses on, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had checked the carbonation before we put them in the incubator, uh, and they were like you know two point six volumes, kind of, kind of fairly normal. And after three days, uh, the first bottle he opened had shot up to like three point seven volumes. <laughs> okay. So pretty active stuff, and of course it was you know kind of foaming and gushing and. Uh, it, that just told us basically everything we needed to know that like, yeah, this stuff given a chance will re-ferment. Uh, and, you know, because that's what it does, it secretes diastase or, or, you know, amylase into its environment and uh, creates more fermentables. Yeah. Uh, so that basically commits me. Okay. We, we we've got to, you know, basically look at getting rid of, if not all of the yeast, at least most of it. So it's at a level where it really can't do anything. Uh, so we're kind of playing around with that now, you know, uh, uh, centrifuging down samples in the lab and then kind of re-inoculating with certain uh, small cell counts, trying to figure out if there's a point at which, you know, we, we need to start worrying if we have X number of V-cells per mil. Um, that's kind of ongoing right now. Uh, Carl's also, uh, because he's a microbiologist, he's kind of geeking out on this project. So he's, uh, he's playing with temperature die-off curves for the diastaticus by uh, putting samples in our uh, in our, our thermocycler that we use for PCR, so we can dial in very specific temperature set points and then kind of make it little charts of like here it is at you know 38C and it's doing fine, and then these cell counts look like this, and then it gets to 40C and you know kind of starts ramping down. Uh, so it's just kind of internal stuff for us to uh, use this measurement. Uh, also, uh, you know, we're, we're plating it out on different growth media, just kind of confirming the, the PCR results because uh, it does look like there's a basically there's a brewer's yeast and then there's also the diastaticus yeast in this particular strain that we're playing around with uh, and so it does the diastaticus does show up on a uh, wild yeast media uh, so that's that's kind of interesting cool yeah um but like i said uh, the main thing for me is, is i guess how you approach it you know if uh if you know you've got it going into it and you're going to put your beer out in the package then you're going to have to address it with uh 
some of the traditional means that brewers use to control contamination, you know, either pasteurization or filtration or, or thorough centrifuging. Hello, I'm Sylvie Banzadek with Lalaman. I'm the director of sales and marketing for the Brewing East. Obviously, we're here to talk about uh, diastaticus. Um, an anonymous post on Ask the Brewmasters got a lot of folks talking recently. I'm paraphrasing here, but the original post basically said, you know, hey, rumor has it several commercial strains aren't labeled as uh, diastaticus variants, but should be so that brewers know exactly what they're getting into. Uh, so why don't you guys start off by just, um, you know, commenting on, on that? We... So I'll talk on behalf of Lanaman. We have a uh, strain on the market called Veil Saison, which is a Saccharomyces uh, cerevisiae volatile staticus. When we first put it on the market, it wasn't labeled as such, but we really quickly realized that there was a need for transparency and certainly a need for education uh, with the brewers. And that's something we really pride ourselves on at Lanaman. We don't just sell yeast, we sell a lot of expertise and a lot of technical support uh, with this. So we uh, quickly changed our label to really clearly state that uh, it, uh, it is uh, Saccharomyces diastaticus strain. And uh, that way the brewers know what they're getting into when, uh, when they use the yeast. But then what we realize is that although it is labeled, sometimes brewers are not realizing what it means. So there's, there's really a need for education, which we see as an opportunity on our side, uh, because we have a lot of uh, knowledge to share. And uh, this is why we're really keen on participating in um, presentations, uh, talk, podcasts, where we can uh, be totally transparent and explain uh, how we do things on our side. But most importantly, uh, fully disclose what we do. Coming up, more stuff you should know about diastaticus. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. 
Rawr North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweetbread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let Rawr North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. It's that time of year when things slow down for the holidays, but we do have a few events on the horizon. District Western Canada has a webinar on the 2021 barley crop, December 16th. District Georgia has a social gathering at Elsewhere Brewing in Atlanta, January 13th. And the annual District Ontario Technical Conference will be January 26th through the 28th, just outside of Toronto. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets at Surly's Shide Hall, February 24th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And we've gone and labeled the yeast on our website that we know uh, contains the diastaticus gene. Um, but really any yeast, you know, when, when a brewer makes their sugar profile, you're kind of stuck with 30 to 20% dextrins. They should be unfermentable. Um, but so any yeast that claims to get you attenuation beyond maybe 75 to 80% must have one of those genes or uh, it's, it would be unable to consume that dextrin. So brewers should be really aware of any strain that's claiming to have kind of a high level of attenuation. It's likely that it has that gene present. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And, you know, my friend um, Jasper Ackerboom of Jasper Yeast uh, also posted a, a, an interesting point on the thread. He asked about research related to the expression of the glucoamylase enzyme. Uh, he wrote that the presence of the gene doesn't always mean that it's actually being expressed and that it might not be functional. Yeah, uh, so the way we detect diastaticus is with PCR right now um, at Inland Island. And so um, any yeast that has that gene in its DNA gets picked up as diastaticus. And it happens to be that all the yeast that uh, have that gene are also, also highly attenuative. So we um, kind of have a really good relationship between the presence of that gene and its expression um, viewed as the ability or when it is breaking down dextrins. So we haven't come across a strain yet that has that gene that doesn't show expression yet. Thank you. 
and hello, I'm uh, Tobias Fischborn. I'm uh, in charge of the R&D and quality control and quality assurance uh, for Lanamon Brewing. With the STA1 gene, if it's expressed or not, um, yeah, there is uh, still a debate and um, I don't think there's a, a final answer. Um, most of the time when we check uh, and we find the STA1 gene, it's also uh, expressing and um, producing the uh, enzyme that cuts down the, the sugars, the higher sugars. There might, there might be a way to measure the, uh, the expression of it. Maybe that would be more of a question for uh, the yeah, ones that are developing the, the PCR kit like uh, PICA or uh, is that something that you know that Gojuan would be focusing on, Tobias? Well, she has developed the kit, and uh, again, they're looking for, I believe, within the STA1 gene, they're looking for a smaller sequence because uh, they're using qPCR, and for qPCR, the, the whole gene is too big, so they're just uh, looking for a small sequence within the uh, gene, and that's what they're replicating and uh, uh, detecting then the uh, possible diastaticals. Hi, my name is Michelle McHugh, and I am the Quality Control Specialist at Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore. When I came to Union, I had discovered we had some issues with popping cans, um, which is an immediate sign normally of a diastatic yeast. Um, once I found that, I started to detect it on LCSM plates. Um, that's probably the best way right about now to do that. Um, I sent it in for sequencing and realized it was definitely uh, Saccharomyces subspecies diastaticus. Um, and from there, we went and reviewed all of our chemical concentrations, um, cleaning procedures, all of that. Um, the first thing we did was up our, our caustic, our phosphonitric acid, and parasitic acid solutions. Um, still, that didn't seem to be making a difference as far as what I was finding on my plate. Um, then I went and looked at our Zwickles, and I had discovered that they were not being broken down properly. And so I could be getting very clean samples and using the aseptic sampling technique as that's the industry standard, um, according to the ASBC, but I would still get these positives. So I broke down the Zwickles and swabbed the inside, and sure enough, um, the diastaticus was living in there. Um, same strain, had it sequenced. Um, and once we saw that, we were able to say, okay, break it down, um, and now we're going to autoclave every single Zwickle before it goes back on the take after it's uh, been soaked in caustic. And since then, we have not, knock on wood, we have not seen a problem. Um, so the biggest improvement I would say there is... Uh, Definitely the parasitic acid concentration, because clearly it was in the beer before. Um, and then also just really checking every single aspect um, of your tank, every single point of possible contamination and entrance and contact. And um, that's what we did. And now we're sterilizing every Zwickle, and that's working. So is, this, far is it safe to assume that you, you were seeing it in lots of different brands? It's not like this was, you know, limited to, you know, a brand or two. It's because it was, you know, in all of your sample valves. So you, did you see it in multiple brands, I assume? We did. We saw it in multiple and it really didn't make sense. Um, according to the changes we had made in our CIP and SIP procedures, um, 
and chemical concentrations, it didn't make any sense uh, that we would be seeing that and not getting thorough cleaning um, done. So that's when we really had to look at the Zwickles and we did see it in multiple tanks. And then once we figured that out, um, we went ahead and were able to call it out and say that's the problem and really solve it and uh, go about better procedures with that. Um, and the best method of detection, I would say, what really helped us out was just using the lens cupric sulfate medium. Um, that really is the telltale sign. Um, and that's where you're going to see it. Of course, you have the options of uh, new P uh, PCR technology with invisible sentinel and such, uh, such things like that. Um, and that's definitely a further step that I think we'll look into in the near future. But as far as knowing what to look for in your colony morphology, um, once you see it, it is, it's pretty easy to see that warning and um, kind of start to look further into it once you see those same type of colonies. Um, so yeah, just really testing every beer at multiple points, definitely using that LCSM media. I learned something new. Um, I was reading the post on the Ask the Brewmasters forum that you responded to, um, and Graham Stewart, who also contributed to the uh, conversation on Ask the Brewmasters, he attached one of his many papers, which is a, a great resource. Uh, anyway, I, uh, he wrote um, that while wort dextrin utilization is possible by this yeast subspecies due to secretion extracellularly of glucoamylase, um, however, this uh, this enzyme produced by uh, diastaticus is incapable of hydrolyzing the alpha-1-6 bonds of dextrins where it is able to hydrolyze the alpha-1-4 bonds. So um, that was new to me. You know, a lot of people talk about it super attenuating all the way down to nothing, but, you know, I didn't realize that it could only work on the 1-4 bonds. Yeah, I mean, there's still definitely a limit. Um, like people brew with French Cezanne all the time. They like it because it dries the beer out quite a bit. Um, but it still leaves some residual sugar behind, yeah. which would be any of those sugars that have a 1-6 bond it's unable to chop up. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, another thing that was interesting that Dr. Stewart pointed out, he, he said that um, uh, there was an, he referenced another study from his paper that examined the uh, glucose concentration of uh, in pasteurized uh diastaticus beer and that uh concentration increased during storage for three months um at room temperature uh, which indicated that the glucoamylase is not heat sensitive too so for those who are thinking about pasteurization as a um, defense mechanism maybe that's not the the best approach yeah that's pretty interesting because it's possible that the yeast is being killed but that that enzyme is still present in the beer and able to continue to chop it up and break it up into glucose. So you might not see over attenuation happen because all the yeast has been destroyed. So nothing's turning that sugar into uh, CO2 and alcohol, but the enzyme's still in there kind of destroying the sugar profile you created. Coming up next week, the diastaticus discussion continues. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that some people are getting it from their supplier mixed in. I mean, we've done some testing for other people and uh, I'm 100% convinced uh, it's coming in, uh, in, in some cases, from the supplier. 
Tune in next week for more perspective from brewers, yeast suppliers, and independent microbiologists. We'll dive deeper into detection and prevention and hear some more war stories, including my own. Special thanks to Ben Chambers, who encouraged me to bring this hot topic to the Master Brewers podcast. Merry Christmas and safe travels. 130 years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers' award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Stop and keep